Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. I so get a sense of coming to the Word with reverence and coming to, you know, even if we don't physically read Bible verses, I mean, the church didn't do that probably for the first hundred years. In the church, the scripture was read because there were only a few letters circulating amongst the churches. Not everyone had, you know, the, a Bible. Now it's like you just download it. I mean, it's, it's all there. But I have a reverence when I, when I want to proclaim the word. So can you just agree with me? Let's say it together, Father God, your word is powerful. We want to come into alignment with your word. Your word is truth. Your word is reality in a world of confusion. Give me ears to hear. Give me a heart to receive. Your word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys, as we take our seats. Also want to welcome our online viewers and those listening in on the radio, being part of this church, th this local ministry. Thank you for your uh, commitment to, to help us get the message out, not only in these four walls, but digitally across platforms to many groups of people, even outside of our borders. And for that, we're grateful for your partnership. This is a great message that we have. The gospel is powerful, and it's transforming lives around the world. And when I open my Bible, excuse me, I just need to. because he listens to the Lord now. So, I open Genesis chapter 1, and I read 10 amazing words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, the more theology I study, the longer I serve God, the more powerful that simple statement becomes. Because impacted into Genesis chapter 1 is the fact that God set time into motion. Before that, there wasn't even space, because space is something he spoke. Time began when he spoke. God lived eternity, infinitely, before never beginning and never ending. But our cosmos came into being, some say it was a big bang or some, but it started at a microscopic level and exploded and is ever expanding and is still expanding, although some scientists say it could even contract at some stage. All that happened, and Genesis sums it up so beautiful, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let us. 
Let us create man in our image. That was his gift to you. He said, I'm going to make you like me. I'm going to give you what only I can give. That no animals, no vegetation, no sea-dwelling creatures possess. I'm going to give you the gift of my image. And I'm going to put it in a flesh suit because you're going to live on an earth where you need to touch and smell and see and hear. And I'm going to endow you with those faculties. But most important, God breathed his life into us. And at that moment, when his life came into us, his spirit, we had a connection into the unseen terrestrial realm, and we had sight into the physical terra firma, physical world that we lived in by our spirit. And then God said, let them have dominion. In other words, let them rule. There was a transfer of authority. It's like when you tell someone at home, dad's going away, you in charge of making sure the kids get to bed at such a time. In that transfer of authority, there's a delegation. You don't then phone 10 minutes later and say, oh, sorry, you're not allowed to tell the children what to do. Because if you delegate, you're giving authority to it. And God, in his all knowledge, all power, sovereignty, made a decision to empower the man that he created to have dominion, to reign. So he gave him his gift of his self, and he gave him his responsibility and assignment to increase the borders of the garden until it filled the earth. Because somewhere there'd been a state of chaos, and the garden was going to represent a beachhead from which multiple families who would live thousands of years, accumulate knowledge and wisdom in a God-fearing, God-loving, walking in the cool of the garden atmosphere. You can only imagine how quickly scientific and technological advancements that are already in this earth, man didn't come up with them. They were already there. How fast this world would have progressed into this magnificent, all-providing, all-incapacitating, all that word, you know. God had all that in mind from the man that he created. And then in the midst of that, doubt came into man's heart if he could trust God. He committed high treason. And in that moment, there was a cosmic collapse. And man spiritually got cut off, so he worked by the sweat of his brow, not in tune with the Holy Spirit's agenda, but now limited to his own uneducated education. I mean, how do you reach an infinite God with a finite reason? So man tried to become religious. We see that in the first in, in, in Cain and Abel, making little sacrifices now. They're going to appease God. So he gets his bananas and his pawpaws and his, 
you know, his uh, uh, guavas and oranges, and he makes a little thing, then he thinks, oh, now I've, I've made God happy because look what I've done. But his brother, Abel, takes what he had, and he brings a sacrifice in his blood, and God says, that's the picture. Not man's works and man's efforts, it's going to be blood. And that becomes the first hint of understanding in, in man's consciousness that God was going to work through blood, through covenant. And after man is now removed from the garden, we find that there's a progression that takes place. God speaks to Abraham. Abraham speaks to his son, Isaac. Isaac passes it on to Jacob. Jacob then passes it on to his sons, the tribes of Israel, the names. And Joseph goes into Egypt. He finds favor with Pharaoh. But then he dies, and a new king comes into power. But God raises up Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. He says, no. God opens a sea. They go through the sea. The armies are collapsed and crunched in the, the sea as the Israelites go into the promised land. And God says, I will provide for you. I will take care. You will be a covenant people because I promised to your forefather Abraham that through the seed of the woman, the world will be blessed. And I'm bringing that seed through this tribe and through this nation. And the old covenant is a picture of redemption. The first few chapters, two chapters are story of creation. From chapter 3, it's a story of redemption. Man's trying to find God through religion. A finite mind trying to find an infinite God is impossible. But God launches a journey and he becomes man hunting. And he seeks you out. He seeks me out. And through the nation, even though they rebelled, and he gave them the priesthood and the, and the sacrifices, until the time, the fullness of time, when God said, now the revelation of Emmanuel, God in the flesh, is ready to be revealed. The promise that had come through the old covenant, through the sacrifices. And God takes on a body. You see, God had limited himself not to intervene in the affairs of man as God's spirit. But when God took on flesh, he legally put himself in a situation where he could fulfill the law that he required man to fulfill. He could live the perfect life. He could die sinless. And in so doing, death could not have a hold on him any longer. And I just imagine, it's not I'm just reading the Bible, but I just imagine Jesus in the bowels of hell and the demon saying, we got you, we got you. You thought you were going to save the world, but now, like everyone else, you're dead. But they had overplayed their hand. Because Jesus, the sinless God in flesh, could not be held in death because the sting of death is the law and the sting of death is, is through sin. And he's is the sinless God.
God in the flesh, and he says, no, 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 I came down here to get back those keys that you illegitimately stole when I gave man authority over this earth. Those keys that were supposed to bring man into abundance and into prosperity and favor and increase Eden like communities across the planet, taking back acre upon acre, country upon country, continent upon continent, until my glory filled the earth. And you thought you, were, you could steal the keys there, but I've come legally to take them here. And Jesus then ascends to the Father, presents his blood as an atoning sacrifice. And then my imagination goes further there. Maybe some angels said to him, now what are you going to do? You're back in heaven without a body. Now you can't legitimately get involved again on earth because you delegated that authority and you, a man of your word, So Jesus said, hang on, something you're not thinking. I left a body down there. I remember, (laughs) let me not. And I'm going to go and I'm going to fill my body with the same spirit that was lost in their rebellion, in their treason. And my spirit in my people again is going to bring my work back onto earth as I planned it in the beginning. And they waited in an upper room, and on the day of Pentecost, something happened. Something transformed those early believers from cowardly, running away, self-protection, introspective, uh, navel-gazing Christians into emboldened warriors, soldiers, who said, we're going to go and take this message, this good news that there's a king and his kingdom is going to endure. And I tell you what, church, for the first hundred years, that message was propagated properly across Asia, Europe, North Africa. In a hundred years, there was an explosion. There were signs and wonders. I mean, people were healed simply by being in the presence of believers. Uh, There was a fear on the people to even want to join with these believers because God was, but God added daily to the church those who were being saved. And then somewhere in about 220 AD, church went into stagnation. Somewhere around 280, the emperor decided, if you can't beat them, join them. And he made Christianity the state law, the state religion. And if you refused to join the state religion, we would just simply take your head off. That was your choice. Be baptized or lose your head. Get ahead or lose, it, or lose your head. Baptized or lo- And Christianity just went into what they call the dark ages. There was a papacy, there was a hierarchy, but the gospel was in a few places for, for, for hundreds of years until the revival started again and the, 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 the awakenings and the refreshings and the, and, 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 and the reformers came in. 
I, I, I'm going a lot into church history this morning. I didn't mean to do it, but I need you to see that there's a big picture. And it started in God created. It comes right through the cross, and it brings us to today where the church is at a place of awakening and awareness that we have been given the keys of the kingdom. And Jesus says, if you don't understand this message, it's like seed on the road that the birds are going to come and steal. You've got to get it. You've got to understand this message. It's all Jesus taught. It's it's all his parables are about. It was his first sermon. It was his last sermon in Acts chapter 1. Jesus spoke about this kingdom and how to activate it, how to connect with it. It affects every part of our life. It affects your marriage. It affects your business. It affects your finances. It affects your health. It affects every part of our lives. From time to time, I get asked, so, so what's your vision? Hey, Steve, what's your vision? I hope you heard what it is in the last 20 minutes. My vision is to, as best as possible, line up with what he planned for this earth. Then we come to the fact that we as ambassadors, as priests on earth, have an embassy from which we are called to change the culture of the earth. Culture is a very powerful thing, you know that. I shared last week about a program I saw on TV about the Persia. Persia was quite a remarkable country for a thousand years. And about 700 AD, about 700 AD, a prophet by the name of Muhammad, uh, he wasn't a prophet, he was a trader, gets a vision, then he was called a prophet, and he established Islam in Arabia. It grew quickly in in Arabia, and their mission was now to propagate. So by 800 AD, they decided to cross into what was then Turkey. Today, it would be Syria, mostly Iran. So they went in where Persia was. They took over, and they said, you are now Muslim. And Islam took over that part of the world. But this interesting thing is, the culture of Persia never changed. Their mannerisms, their eating, their rituals, their habits. And that's why you have this big division between in Islam, between the two big groups. Because the Shiite, and the, I don't want to go into all too much here, but the Persian culture was stronger than the Saudi Arabia culture. They weren't going to become Arabs. They became Muslims, but they never became Arabs because of a thing called culture. And culture can keep people groups like it did with the Jews for a thousand years, isolated and in a certain way of living that you think is the right way because someone else does something different. But in their culture, to walk through a door first is showing respect. But in your culture, letting the lady walk through is showing respect. So they must be wrong, and I must be right. It's a joke. In other words, culture is the way we figure out things, and we usually think we're right. 
Forget about that now. Kingdom culture is something completely different. Kingdom culture is what is the church is need to be demonstrating through. Uh, sorry, Mr. President, I'm in a meeting right now. I'll call you back shortly. Thank you. Has that ever happened to you? So, so kingdom culture, righteousness, peace, joy, power, in the church needs to be our distinguishing hallmark that affects the world and the community around us. And not be influenced to become Arabs, but to influence the Arabian culture by being Persian. By being kingdom people, we affect the culture around us, wherever we are, wherever we work, wherever we do. And that is the yeast that Jesus spoke about in his parables, working through the, the, the dough. The seed that is small but becomes a big tree. That is the key that unlocks the parable. Understanding kingdom culture, a heavenly culture. And we got four of those that we believe in as a local church. We sometimes refer to them as our values, but it's the same thing really. So if the first part of my teaching this morning was around vision, my second part is about these cultures or values. And the first one is intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As a people, as a local church, our value, our first culture is we want to be worshipers. We want to see the gardens of Eden established all over the city through local churches and the nations of the world where people come together to worship, to, to be taught about their righteousness in his sight, that, that we come boldly to the grace of God. We don't shrink back. There's no longer condemnation. There's no longer religion's self-effort to build something to please him. There's now a recognition that the blood of Jesus took care of all my sins, my past sins, my present sins, my future sins, and I'm a son of God with the same spirit living in me, that man lost in the garden. And now I get to call him Father. And Jesus, seated with him in heavenly places, and the Holy Spirit connecting me between this world and his world, as I can hear God, as I experience God, as I share God. The second value would be building a community of worshipers. But the emphasis there is building a community in relationship. You know, relationships take effort. But if we don't build a culture of we care for each other, It'll never change the culture out there that says, doggy dog, rat race, get to the top first and step over as many people as you can. Hello? If our culture is not one of 
family. Then the individualistic, selfish culture just perpetuates itself. If the local church can't say, we prepare to minister to the lowest of the lowly, then the world just goes, well, we'll find an alternative. And it's usually fraught with corruption. The church holds the key to transform this planet. And it's going to happen as gardens of Eden are established as local churches where a family form community and begin loving one another and begin recognizing that we need each other. You know, you don't just come to church for you. That would be an independent way of thinking. You also come to church because when you hear, you encourage the people around you. If you were the only, just imagine now, okay? You're sitting here. You're the only person sitting around here. Just get a picture. Close your eyes if you want to. You're the only person sitting where you are, and I'm standing up here talking to you. Now open your eyes. Does it feel different? Because there's a community together. And that's sometimes sacrificial. That's sometimes giving of my time and my space so that I can be a word of encouragement. I can be someone there for somebody. Thirdly, the culture that this house should have is one that we're not just all about our own church, but we're on a mission. People go and people come. Ministries get birthed out. Churches get planted. And feeding schemes get organized. But all the time, there's this mission. And then finally, serving in the gift that he gave us. See, that's part of our culture. That's part of, that's one of our values that we have. So those four values, I know you've heard them different ways, but I'm just trying to help you see how they undergird and underpin the vision that God has for the redemption of this planet and his kingdom to come on earth through his church. You have a gift that I need, that somebody else needs, that we need. I have a gift that you need, that somebody else needs that we all need. And it's that mixing pot of gifts that brings about a culture of serving, of giving, of being faithful, of being stewards, of my time, of my finances, of my particular gift, the thing I can do. And when one cog in the machine is out, it affects the machine. Amen? What cog are you in that machine? Are you in the cog that uh, comes 10 minutes late and leaves 10 minutes early? Or are you the cog that comes and helps dust off the chairs before people arrive? Or are you the cog that uh, don't, don't feel condemned. I know there was a traffic jam on the hill this morning. 
But my point is this. There are gifts in each one of us that are not just for my life. That God didn't just give them to me so I can survive. He gave them to me so that you can survive. And that is a culture that's totally contrary to the culture of this world. When man fell, he went into survival mode. Survival of the fittest. Self-protection. Because there were wild animals out there. There were thorns and thistles. And in that process of now being carnal, man had to become very selfish and self-occupied. Can you see the mess we've got ourselves into? Have you read the paper lately? Have you listened to some of the historical things that have happened with companies that depend on arms manufacturing to pay back billions in revenue that suddenly by accident stumble upon a war in an area where there was a third party involved and you go, hang on. This world didn't need to be so messed up. This world didn't need to be so greedy and corrupt. There's enough for everybody. And the church have the alternate community to what's offered. Are you hearing me? So I want to leave you with this. I have to preach this message at least four times a year so that we remember what our vision is. It's lining up with his vision. And we need to know what our culture has to be as a church in terms of what we place value in. Can we stand up together? I believe I'm preaching to the choir here today because I look around and I just see faithful people and faithful families. But I also am aware that there's a lot of people, not not because they're not faithful, but because there's fear and there's other factors in their lives, other restraints, other misunderstandings about the character of God, other assumptions. And can we just practice the culture of mission right now? Can I ask you to pray with me? Father, we just come right now. And we believe you've placed us here for such a time as this. And we know that there's other families that belong to us and that are part of what you're doing through this local church. And we want to just say to those families in the spirit realm right now, do not fear. Peace. Peace be in you and upon you. We declare where there are wrong ideas of who God is for clarity, for revelation of the goodness, the love of God into those homes. We pray for the many that have just slipped away from God. He's down in number eight on their priority list. We want to lift those up. Come on, I know you can think of somebody. You can think of a relative, a family member, a colleague. Yes, they were involved in church at some time in their life. Yes, they were a believer and this and that, but somehow things got cold. Somehow things just drifted. And right now, we just want to call out in the spirit. 
You see, God works in agreement with our prayers on this planet because we are his body. So what we're doing right now is so powerful, church. It is so powerful. It's not God that's unwilling. He's waiting for us to get willing with what he's willing. And God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to salvation. So right now, we call out to those people. We call out to those sons and daughters. We call out and say, be reconciled to God. We call out to those people we work with. And we say, be reconciled to God. We call out to those backslidden believers who've been entrapped through lies and deceit. And we say, come, come to the Father. Come to the Son. Come to the Spirit. Come to the Trinity of God and commit your life afresh. Whatever that takes, whatever that means, He is with you, He's for you, He's in you. Be part of what He's doing in the earth today. There's a spiritual war of catastrophic proportions between darkness and light. And the church hold up the truth. Be reconciled.